Today we're going to start a brand new series, and uh, a, a new message series of one of the best-selling leadership books in the past 20, 30 years. Uh, one of the best leadership books in America is called Good to Great, Leaping, No, Why Some Companies Make the Leap and Other Companies Don't. It's by a guy named Jim Collins, Moving from Good to Great. Collins, Jim Collins, in this book, led a research team studying businesses and companies in America, and specifically the companies that were very successful, that made it very well. And, and so one of the um, important factors that Collins' um, research team found that companies that went from good to great, you know, they, they didn't have the mindset of just being content with good. You know, the companies that went great you know, went further. They didn't just settle for less. They didn't just, you know, settle for the status quo. There's a, there's a statement, there's a quote um, that Jim Collins makes. I've said it from time to time. Uh, it, it, the good become the enemy of the great. And that's the premise of the book, you know, and one of the factors why companies don't go from good to great is because they're just content. And I'm a child of the 80s. And I love, you know, back then I really loved the NBA basketball. I mean, basketball back then, you know, uh, would bruise them. You know, how many people can we knock down? You know, today, you know, you know they barely touch each other, you know. You know, and, uh, I love the 80s. And, uh, and of course, I'm a, I'm a bad boys fan, you know, the Pistons, Detroit Pistons bad boys. You know, I mean, come on. You know, you can't, you know, I, I love, I've, I've been watching some YouTube YouTube videos of, of the Pitton basketball back then, and Bill Lane Beer, man, he was mean. You know, he would you know, I don't know that he would be allowed to play in the NBA today. But, you know, uh, one of the, one of our, you know, our nemesis, one of our rivalry is Boston, the Boston Celtics. In fact, to get to the NBA championship, we had to beat Boston Celtics. You know, we had to get, we had to get them out of the way. Larry Bird. And Larry Bird is arguably one of the best players of that, of that era. And, 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 and one of the things that made him so great is he was the guy that showed up to practice two or three hours before practice began. And then when practice was over, he didn't leave what the, when the rest of the team left. You know, he stayed around. And, 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 you know, he's the guy that shot, you know, 100 free throws every day. 100 free throws. And they had one of the best free throw percentage of the 80s and in the 90s. You know, he, he, he was just in a settle for good. And, and so this is what we want to do today. This is what we want to accomplish, really, in this series. There are thousands of Christians that are just content to be good. You know, they, they, they've got their ticket punched to heaven, and I'm, I'm good. I can sit in the back seat and just kind of enjoy the ride. And, and we just settle for less than great. We just want to be good, just good enough. And, and, and so this series, we're going to be going through the powerful book of Joshua, which is one of the most exciting books of all the Bible. It, it reads like an action novel, but it's much more than a historical um, record of Israel's military conquest of Canaan. It, it's a powerful picture of how every believer 
can experience victory. You see, when a believer enters into Canaan, it's a description of a different level of Christian living. Some call it the spirit-filled life. Some call it the abundant life. But some may call it, um, you know, the victorious Christian life. Whatever you call it, it represents making the leap when you go into Canaan from good to great. Good to great. Now, in order to understand this exciting truth, it's important for us to study the book of Joshua in its, in its historical context. Uh, uh, so here's what, here's what I'm going to do today. All right, today, I'm gonna, I've got two hats I'm going to wear. I'm going to wear my teaching hat for a little bit. All right? Not uh, for a little bit, and, and from time to time, I with hat, and I'm going to put on my preaching hat, okay? I'm going to start with my teaching hat, and, uh, and if you're taking notes, if you're following along, uh, here's the first thing that we need to understand. If we try to understand the historical context of the book of Joshua, we need to understand our spiritual geography. We need to understand our spiritual geography. And the entire story of Exodus, it's an amazing object lesson that God uses to teach us what salvation really is. The beautiful object lesson. In fact, the New Testament teaches the event of the Old Testament serves as an example to us. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was commenting on the, the Exodus story in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said this in verse 11. He said, these things happened to them, the Exodus story, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. So the story of the Old Testament, the story of the Exodus had some really uh, powerful ramifications and some beautiful truth that we need to just have a, a better understanding of. Uh, and, and so I got my, my laser pointer, and I got a map. And I got this little map here, and you see, it works. Hey, look at that, that's awesome. And uh, my teaching hat, okay? Teaching hat, always have a little laser in your hand. And uh, I think, um, anyway, but this little map serves as a template of our spiritual geography. But there's a beautiful story of the Exodus. It starts here in Egypt. Egypt right here, this is Africa, this is the Mediterranean Sea way up here. And uh, way up here, <laughs> it's Europe, okay? You got Italy, you know, if you come this way, you run into, you know, Italy and Greek. All right, so y'all kind of know what it is. And so this is Egypt. And Egypt, you'll see this on your notes, Egypt represents a person who is lost in bondage. And so to, to understand what happened here, the Israelites were started with a guy named Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had many sons. And one of them was a guy named Joseph. Y'all remember Joseph? Coat of many colors. The brothers hated him. They hated him so much that they sold him into slavery and then went and told Joseph, you know, Joseph's dad, your dad, Jacob, and said, hey, Jacob's dead. We found his clothes. It's all, you know, been torn up and there's blood on him. Some animal, some wild animal ate 
ate Joseph. Meanwhile, Joseph lands in Egypt as a slave. After a few years, Egypt, uh, uh, Joseph went from a slave, a prisoner, to a prime minister. Became the second highest person of all of Egypt. What a beautiful story, and brought his family back. They restored, the restoration happened. He had a reunion with his dad, Jacob. And he brought the whole family into Egypt, and they lived there. And they died, and their gener- the next generation, and of course the Israelites, the Hebrews, right? The Israelites, they got bigger and bigger, and they grew, and there was a nation of Israelites living in another country of, called Egypt. And the Egyptians, over time, forgotten about who Joseph was. Well, they had benevolent toward them in the beginning. By 400 years later, they were under bondage. The entire Israelite army served as slaves for the Egyptians. You see the pyramids, the great pyramids and all those things? that's out there, that those were most likely built on the back of the Israelites. And so Egypt represents bondage. And just like the Israelites were under bondage, we all have a spiritual Egypt in our lives. If you've never been saved, you've never had Jesus Christ to come in your life, today you're still in bondage in Egypt. Now, if you've been saved, you've asked Jesus to come to your life to be your Lord and Savior, you are no longer in Egypt. You were there, but you don't long, no longer live there because of the next thing that happened in this timeline called the Exodus. The Exodus represents deliverance. God provided a supernatural solution to deliver his people from bondage. They used the blood of an innocent lamb to bring about their liberation. God did the same thing for us. In fact, we see this in John chapter 1, verse 29. You saw this first if you were here for Christmas Eve when John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt, probably went down this little path here, somewhere in this direction, and right here in this general area is where they would have crossed the Red Sea. Now, some of you are looking at my map. This is a modern map here, okay, and it's the Gulf of Suez. And so, well, wait a minute. And I, I thought they crossed the Red Sea. Well, here's the Red Sea, and this was all considered, this and this was all considered the Red Sea. And so they crossed about this line right here, and they crossed the Red Sea. And so God led them out through a, a Passover lamb, just like we, a Christian, if you are saved, you have been redeemed, delivered from slavery through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now here's the next portion of our map here. It, we call it the wilderness, the wilderness. This represents spiritual maturity, immaturity, spiritual immaturity. 
So after leaving Egypt and, and, and crossing the Red Sea, they made their way down what they would call Mount Sinai, right here in the middle of the bottom part of this wilderness. Now some think that maybe Mount Sinai was up here. There's a couple of thoughts out there, but most people believe that Sinai was in this very mountainous area, the Mount of God. And, and, and so they traveled, and, it took, and they hung out here for about two years. Now, that was on purpose. They received, if you remember from Mount Sinai, they received what? The Ten Commandments, okay? You know, if you ever watched the movie about Moses, right? There it is, Charlton Heston delivering, you know, receiving those Ten Commandments right there. Uh, not only did they get the commandment there, but they learned how to properly worship God. Which was something that this generation of the Israelites just didn't understand. Because they had lived in Egypt with all their gods. God had been quiet for 400 years. And so God was teaching them how to worship him. It was about a two-year period. And so wilderness represents spiritual immaturity. And when you come as a new person in Christ, when you come out of Egypt and been delivered, there's a time in our lives where we are spiritually immature, just like when you have a new baby. They are a, fun there's a functional period of immaturity. They don't know how to feed themselves. They don't know how to take care of themselves, put clothes on. You have to do all the work. You know, and, and, and that's normal. We don't expect a child or a baby to learn how to do all that right away. But when, when spiritual immaturity don't grow up, it becomes a dysfunctional experience of Christian living. Because we are supposed to grow up just like babies are to, at some point are expected to grow up and feed themselves and put on their own clothes. You know, if you have a teenager that's still doing, you know, that, that you're still feeding them and still clothing them, you know, we might want to talk about some parenting things here, you know. They're supposed to grow up. And so when you first become a Christian, you go through spiritual immaturity, but God doesn't want you to stay there. But so many times we just live here. We stay here. And, and this is where discipleship is so important. Discipleship. And if you're a new, a new person in Christ, you're new in your walk. And I challenge you to get connected into a, one of our life groups. One, one of the ways that you can grow in our life group, if we have that available, it's just done in a few weeks. Sign up. Get connected. Grow with other believers. You know, be, get discipled. Be faithful to church. And that's just the starting point. There's more that we could do to help you. But it's imperative that you get discipled. So God wants us to go from good to great. The goal is canon. A canon represents the Victoria Christian life. And let me be clear on this. Canaan does not represent heaven. 
You know, if, if, if you've if you, uh, been to church a long, long time, you probably sang a hymn or two, you know, where, you know, uh, where, where the canon represent heaven, the promised land. I'm bound for the promised land. Who will come and go with me? You know, um, uh, on, Jordan, on Jordan Stormy Banks, the letter hymn, and make a reference that canon is heaven. But here's what canon is. Canon is a place of warfare and victory. It's a place of battles. You know, and, and heaven doesn't have war. It won't have any wars in heaven. And this represents a place of battle, but also a place of blessing. The wilderness represents restlessness. It, it, it represents apathy. Where the canon represents the fulfilled Christian victorious life. Now, one more spot on this map before we take the map down. They started in Egypt. They crossed over. They hung out in Mount Sinai for a couple of years. That was their intention all along for two years. But they weren't supposed to stay here very long. God said, okay, start moving to take that to take the cannon, to take the promised land. That, that's the destination. So they started traveling. And I got to this place called, you see, traditional Kadesh. There's another one right here. There's a couple of spots here. And in the, in, the, in, the, in the Bible, it's Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is the actual term. And then they hung out here. And from here, we call this a decision point. What's a decision point? A faith intersection. It should have taken them from this point into Canaan 11 days. All it should have taken them 11 days. Unfortunately, something happened here where 11 days turned into 40 years. So what happened? You have to go back to Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Numbers chapter 13 and 14. They got here. The Israelites. They're all excited. They're all ready, ready to go. God said, I want you to send 12 spies. One man from each tribe of Israel. And I want you to have them go into Canaan and scout it out. Those 12 guys went in. We're gone for a while. They came back. Ten of those guys said, listen, it's a beautiful land, but it's a scary place. I don't know how we're going to survive. The, the, the city walls are thick. The armies are strong. And some of the people that we saw were like giants. We're like grasshoppers to them. We're tiny. We're not going to survive. The other two spies named Joshua and Caleb. They said, they said sure there are giants. Sure there are obstacles. Sure there are major cities. But if God said we can take it, we can do it. Let's go. And right here, they had the very, very first church business meeting. 
Nothing ever good come out of a good church business meeting. I, I haven't seen one. All right, they had a vote. Do we go in or not? Moses said, all in favor of going into the land, say aye. Joshua and Caleb said aye. That was it. All opposed to going to Canaan, say nay. And it was a thunderous chorus where everybody says nay. God was disappointed. And God said, all right, fine. You're not going to trust me. You want to go your way? You're going to go back into the wilderness. You don't have the faith to go up. I'm going to send you back down. And I'm going to have you take a lap around Sinai, not just once, for 40 years, where you'll wander off until you all die. And when your children will get a chance, I'll give them an opportunity at their decision point, at their faith interception. Y'all with me so far? Good. I haven't put anybody to sleep yet, have I? All right. <laughs> We're good. You know, the book of Joshua is not a story of God's people conquering new territory. Like I said, it's a challenge for every one of us to make the leap from good to great. To go from the wilderness to canon. And we have to know, in order to do that, we have to know how to handle the different faith intersections of our lives. Now, the Israelites, they had the Kadesh Barnea. They had one. I believe churches and Christians, we have many different faith intersections. You have them all, all the time. Some of you are going through one right now. Some of you are go- just went out of one. But you have to kind of go through it. So faith intersection, I, I often describe it as, I need a napkin. <laughs> he made a wrong decision, didn't he? <laughs> all right. Thanks, Tom. All right. Well, don't mess with me, all right? <laughs> These intersections of faith, I, I, I call them crisis moments of faith. If you're a father of Christ, you know what I'm talking about. From one direction, we have the promises of God. What's standing on the promises of God? We know the promises of God. You know, we have them written down. We have them memorized. But the intersections are created when we have the promises of God coming in one direction, and then we have the harsh reality of life crossing the other. Now, help me out for a minute. Have you ever been there? Yeah. We've all been there. As you try to follow God, it's like, wait a minute, I've got all these promises that I'm holding on to, and, and I'm just trying to put them into place, but they don't just seem to be fitting at this intersection with the reality of my personal experience. And listen, it's normal. This is, part of, this is part of our spiritual development. It's part of our spiritual growth. We have to have these intersections in order to go to Canaan. We have to go through these intersections. To go through a victorious Christian life, we have to go through these crisis moments of faith. And if we go there, what we do there is so important. As we come across these intersections, what we do there depends on whether we stay good 
good, just content, playing it safe, or you go great. Where you take faith risk. Where you say, you know, I'm going to trust God. It's not safe. And it's scary. But I'm going to trust God. You move towards faith, or you move towards the path of a coward. You know, at Kadesh Barnea, that's what happened. They all got there, and they became cowards. I mean, they seen the power of God deliver them from Egypt, cross the Red Sea. They seen God on a mountain delivering them the Ten Commandments. And yet they became cowards at Kadesh Barnea. They, they said, we're like grasshoppers. They grasshoppered. Have you, have you ever grasshoppered? That's when you say, when, when God tells you to go, and you say, oh, I don't know, this thing looks bigger than me, and I don't think I'm going to do it. What we do? We grasshoppers. You say, God, that's not a word. Let's play with me today, okay? I <laughs> say, oh, man, if I go this way, God, if you're telling me to go this way, gonna, I'm just going to get squashed like a big bug. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. Are you sure you want me to go this direction? I mean, I, I was living in Pensacola, you know, Karen and I, you know, I, one day I heard a scream. I, and, I mean, I heard it. You know, and if I can hear a scream, you know, my hearing's good. I, I said, Grah! I said, okay, Karen, what's up? I run over there. I said, Karen's running out of the kitchen. I said, what's up? And he said, there's a big, giant cockroach in the kitchen. I said, Karen, the cockroach. Now you go in there and you step on the cockroach. I said, God, this is, a, this is a scary cockroach. So I go into the kitchen, and there's a cockroach staring at me. <laughs> and you can see, you can see a tiny little biceps <laughs> on his little legs. And I was like, oh, man, and he's not backing down. In fact, he's looking at me, and it's, a, it's like a, gun, you know, a standoff, like at the gunfight at the OK Corral, you know. And I said, what, what is he doing? He's not trying to run, and then all of a sudden, he comes charging at me. I said, whoa, you know, you know, and so I, I, I see that cockroach, and I said, huh, I'm not going to be scared of that cockroach, and I just went right here. The problem with the cockroach in Florida is when you pick it back up, it's still alive. <laughs> I said, oh, man, it's still alive. He's still coming at you. He's still, I said, what are you doing? I'm running out of room. You know, I'm being cornered. You know, I keep stepping. It takes about five times in a twist to eliminate the threat that almost took Karen's life. <laughs> oh, to be like that cockroach. I mean, I was a bold cockroach. God wants to be bold. And listen, I promise you, I squat that bug. But if you go in the name of God, if you go in faith, you won't be squashed. And you will get through what God wants you to go. God doesn't bless cowards. The Israelites, they wandered for 40 years because they chose the path of a coward. Matthew, 
Do you recognize where you're at in the spiritual geography? Are, are you in, maybe you're here this morning, you're in Egypt. You've never asked Jesus to come in your life. Now today can be your exodus, Sunday. Today could be the day of your deliverance, the day of your salvation. You can do that today. Maybe you're here today, you've been a Christian, and you're a new Christian. This is God, I recognize him in the wilderness, but I, I want to learn. And that's good. It's not a bad place to be if you're a new Christian. It's just not supposed to stay there. Now, here's the good news, by the way. Once you cross, once you get out of Egypt, you can never go back. Once out of Egypt, you stay out of Egypt. And you're in the wilderness, moving toward Canaan. And maybe you see yourself today in Canaan. You say, man, I am I'm thriving on all eight cylinders. <laughs> you know, I'm moving. I, I, I mean, I, 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 I've got, I'm, I'm talking about Jesus with my friends. I'm, I'm in the Word. But it is possible for you to be in Canaan and to come back into the wilderness. It's possible. I call it that living life, to go backwards. Again, you never go back to Egypt, but you can't go to the wilderness. So my question for you, as we look at 2023, maybe 2022, you say, man, Scott, I live in the wilderness for the entire year. I just kind of went through the motions I kind of went in circles with my faith. Sure, I had some spurts. I had some high moments, but, but then I went right back into the wilderness. I, my prayer is for 2023 is that you will find your eyes and focus from going to good, going to canon to great. And when we have these faith intersections, throughout the year. It's going to help you to either go forward or not help you and go backwards. So 40 years later, Joshua has the next generation of Israelites. Pull up that map one more time. They are back at a new intersection. They've wandered for 40 years, and now God has brought them up here on the east side of the Jordan River. Jericho's on the other side. And they'll camp right there, getting ready to take the next step towards victory. But it's another intersection. Joshua chapter 1, verse number 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. I said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you, Joshua, to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. And I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Najib wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north. 
from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. And no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. So that's it, you know, same promises. Same promises here 40 years later. What's the difference here is, you know, and we've got to understand every promise, every promise in the Bible comes with either instruction or conditions. Sometimes we just see a promise and say, hey, I'm, I, that's my promise. But oftentimes we don't see the condition or the instructions with it. And there's a lot of promises here with a lot of instructions and conditions if you want to see the promise be fulfilled. And so we see this. He says, um, in verse 6, he said, Joshua, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Then he said, be strong and very courageous. Second time, he said, be strong and very courageous. He said, be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them. Turn it either to the left or the right. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Want to be great? Follow the word. Stay in the word. Do what the Bible says. Not just read it, but do it. He said, study the book of instruction continually, all the time. Meditate on it, day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. He said, this is my command. Third time, be strong and courageous. I, I mean, I feel like, you know, he's just kind of pumping up Joshua. So listen, I don't want you to, you to fail like, you know, your, your ancestors 40 years ago, the previous generation. And so I'm just kind of pumping you up. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Kind of like when you're in a pool and you got a little kid that wants to jump in the pool for the very first time. You, you say, hey, come on, you can do this. You can do this. Oh, I don't know, Dad. You know, and, and it takes about 100 times before they finally say, okay, I got enough courage because you motivate. It's a son, I'm not going to let you go. I will catch you, I promise. And Moses kind of said, listen, be drawn to creation. Moses, be ready, be ready, be ready. He says here in verse number 10, Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp, tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land that Lord your God is giving you. And so deja vu for the Israelites. 40 years later, this is their moment, their intersection of faith, their crisis moment. They have a choice. The path, the, 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 the coward detour, or the path of faith. I have a lot of time here, but I'm going to give you uh, the, the, the three traits of the coward detour and three traits of the path of faith. Number one on the coward detour Cowards get angry at God and they quit. You come to that intersection and you get mad at God and you quit. We, we come to a situation where God's not coming through like you thought he would or timing is not what you thought it was going to be. And so you get angry at God. You say, God, if that's how you're going to treat me, I'm going to show you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good luck with that. But there's so many people say, God, I don't like how, how it's going down. I thought everything was going to be perfect. I thought everything was going to be easy. I'm out. 
The cowards take it angry at God and they quit. Number two, cowards take the easy way out. To always take the easy way out. Every faith intercession, I want you to hear me so well. At every intercession of faith, the enemy will always, always offer you an easy way out. People always take the path of least resistance. And Satan will offer it every time. He'll find you, he'll give you shortcuts. Shortcuts. In fact, you know Satan tried to do that with Jesus three times. I mean, turn rocks into bread. I mean, Jesus could have done that. I mean, he fed 5,000 with a couple loaves of bread. He could have, I mean, no problem. But it wasn't God's time for him to do that. And it would have been a shortcut for Jesus. Jesus could have taken a shortcut. He could have bypassed what the Spirit was telling him to do. Three times, Satan offered Jesus a shortcut, an easy way out. And all three times, Jesus said, no, no, no. And all three times, he went back to the scriptures. So, cowards take the easy, take the easy way out. Number three, here's the third part about coward, the coward detour. Cowards always think they know best. They think they always know what's better for them. They always think they know more than God. One of the most famous verses in the Bible Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Y'all know this. But there's a phrase here that if you don't have underlined in the Bible already, you should. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And here it is. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. Because that's what we're you on the coward detour when you lean on your own understanding. Verse 6, in all your ways, submit, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. To me, that's the, that's the intercession, faith intercession verse of the Bible. First, you should have memorized. And when you cross those moments of faith, or Christ of faith, or faith intercession, Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you should always go to the path of the coward. Didn't work well for the Israelites at Kadesh Barnea. But the path of faith, real quick, what does it do? Well, faith takes the scripture seriously. Seriously. If you want to go down the path of scripture, you've got to follow the scripture seriously. That's what Joshua chapter 1, those verses. Observe carefully. Don't deviate from the left to the right. Follow all of it, not some of it. Meditate on it. Know what you're doing and follow after it. Take it serious. Follow God's word. Don't, don't just let conscience be your guide. We have the word of God to guide us and to direct us, and then we obey. We do what it says. Faith obeys, number two, even when it's scary. Even when it's scary. Number three, faith trusts God more than self. Again, faith says it's to go his way, but he knows what's best 
and I'm not trust him. I'm gonna trust him. And I'm gonna lean not on my understanding, but I'm gonna lead, lean on the Lord. And when you stick with Proverbs chapter three, five, and six, and you take the path of faith, you're taking steps from good to great. Now I'm looking forward to the rest of this series. I hope I'm listen. You're here today. Yeah. We'll be here next Sunday. If you can't be here on Sunday, be online, okay? You know, catch up, stay in it. Because, I mean, this whole book of the Bible talked about going from good to great. For 2023, I believe, can be your greatest year of spiritual victory. But you have to go after it. You can't live in the wilderness. Don't stay there. Move toward canon. Cross those moments of faith with boldness. And let's get it done. Head by and I close. Maybe you're here today. You says, Scott, we talk about a lot of stuff today. Talk about spiritual geography. This morning, I recognize I live in Egypt. I don't know Jesus. But today, I need to experience deliverance from bondage, from my sin. And if that's you today, I'm here to tell you there's hope. We're saying about hope this morning. From the beginning to end, there is hope. And it only can be found in a man named Jesus who died on the cross for you. And if you're here today, so I need to be delivered. I hope that you will talk to someone today. Don't leave here without having a conversation with somebody about how to be delivered from your Egypt. But maybe you're here today, you have been delivered from Egypt. But you have found yourself in the wilderness, wandering, going in circles. You're apathetic. You come to church here and there. You read your Bible here and there. And maybe today you're like, you know what, God? I want to move on from my wilderness and move to the promised land, the victorious Christian life. I want 2023 to be a year, not a year of the coward, but a year of victory. And if that's true this morning, he says, God, that, I, I want that too. No one's looking at me, but he says, God, I want victory. I want a victorious life in 2023. You raise your hand. Is that you? My hand's up. My hand's up because I want it too. I want spiritual life. Scott, I want spiritual life this year. Put your hands down. God, we ask you to help us today. God, help us to go from the wilderness to Canaan, from good to great. Help us as we go through those 
intersection point where the promise of where your promise crosses over the harsh reality of life. Where sometimes it just doesn't make sense. That we don't take the path of the coward. But we take the path of faith. God, I help us in 2023 to make some personal commitments to move forward in your name. We can't do it on your own. God, we need you to guide us, to direct our path, just like you promised you would in Proverbs chapter 3. In Jesus' name.